Welcome to TV, I Say with Ashley Ray, your go-to podcast for discovering what to watch on TV and getting you closer to the TV shows you love. I'm Ashley Ray, a comedian, writer, and former TV critic, and each week my friends, fellow comedians, actors, writers, will drop by to dive into the best TV shows we're all talking about right now. All right, let's get into it. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Applications subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Beth, thank you so much for doing the show again. There's so much to get into. (laughs) I know. It's my pleasure. Nice to see you again. Uh, uh, The first interview was so great. We got into so much. And, you know, I wondered, what are we even going to get with the second season of Natalia Grace? And we got so much. So TV Club, welcome back, Beth Karras. Uh, You know Beth as an attorney and TV commentator who worked as a senior reporter with True TV, providing commentary on a number of high-profile cases, uh, as well as legal analysis in the case of Natalia Grace Barnett, or Natalia Grace Manns now, uh, the girl accused of being an adult by her adoptive parents. Part two of this documentary series came out uh, New Year's Day, Beth, where do we start? Where do we even begin with everything revealed in these episodes? You you may recall, Ashley, that after season one aired, it was not long after Michael's Michael Barnett's trial had ended with an acquittal. Right. So people who had been under a gag order, witnesses for the prosecution, the prosecutor, documents that weren't available for season one became available. So we realized that there's a lot more information than just like a one or two hour special with Natalia refuting some of the things said by the Barnetts. So it turned into season two. I mean, we had the prosecutor, the lead detective, the guy who is now a sheriff in Tippecanoe County, Indiana, a dentist who had uh, x-rayed. I I thought I thought the dentist was the most sort of bombshell revelation for me uh, because, you know, there's people who still still online will say, I think she's still older. I don't know. I don't. But it's also confusing, which I'm just like, are you paying attention? Uh, But the dentist just made it so clear that, no, the Barnett's knew her age within five weeks of going to this dentist. They there was no doubt. And even still, uh, as you said, Christine was still saying age inconclusive, but it was. She saw the baby teeth. So that it it was just like case closed. What are we even still debating here? I wasn't kidding when I said in season two that I thought that they may have perpetrated a fraud on the court in Indiana that re-aged her because they did not give that judge all the information they had, nor was Natalia represented. But there was a subsequent hearing a few years later, and a second judge did 
confirmed the reaging and told Natalia, you're at that point, you know, 27 or something, the judge yeah. thought, and you better start acting like an adult. And she still was a minor. So it, I don't know what was presented at that second hearing. There was a little more information, but it's really odd that an endocrinologist and a dentist yeah. Both said, no, 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 she's a child in 2010, 2011, like really little, right? Grade school age. Yeah. And the dentist, I believe, it seems like he wasn't even aware of the reaging until the documentary process. How can something like that, evidence like that, just be excluded from the court? I think that was a big question that came out is how are judges able to make these decisions without talking to these people? The judge in, the, in Michael's trial said that he wasn't going to allow the prosecution to relitigate the age issue because a whole bunch of charges dealt with Natalia being abandoned as a child, not, not just as a dependent person. That's the second set of charges, mirror charges, but one based on her age and one based on her disability. And the judge is like, no, another judge in Indiana, my level judge, has already said that her age is 15 years older than her original birth certificate said. So I'm not going to let you redo that. We're going to dismiss these other charges. If this case had only been based on age, maybe it would have been a different ruling because the case would have, have, have been dismissed, right? Yeah. Uh, but there was a second set of charges based on her disability. So it survived. But yeah, the judge said, no, I'm just not going to allow it. And, you know, there's there's a rationale for his decision. I don't particularly agree with it because it, it tied the hands of the prosecution. A lot of their good evidence we see in season two. Yeah. Jurors never saw. Yeah, it's, it's just so frustrating. Uh, I think, you know, as soon as anyone watches the series, their first thought is just, how do we get them into jail? How do we do something? Uh, is it still possible that other charges could come up against the Barnetts? I don't believe so. I'm not an Indiana attorney, so I can't really give you an opinion about Indiana law, but it looks like the statute of limitations has expired. Plus, Christine's case was dismissed with prejudice. And when a dismissal is with prejudice, that means you can't bring the charges again. So you can have, and sometimes uh, prosecutors want to, they want to change some of the original charges before trial. So they'll supersede an indictment. And so the original one gets dismissed. There's no problem. You can, you know, you put yeah. a new one in place. But um, this was a dismissal with prejudice, very significant that she cannot be charged again. Maybe there'll be a civil suit. I understand that Natalia is looking into those options, but I don't know yeah. if, if that's going to happen. Uh, what about some of the new revelations in, in season two? Uh, we find out that uh, Natalia was pepper sprayed. Michael confirms this. So does his son. Is that a type of charge that, you know, doesn't have a statute of limitations or is it just she's out of luck? No, I mean, the typical statute of limitations for most felonies is like five years. Some states might be a little yeah. bit, a year or two less or more, but no, that, that time has lapsed. I mean, she hasn't lived with the um, Barnett since the summer of 2012, right. right? So it's been a long time. Yeah, I think that's another part of the case. People don't understand how, to, how long this timeline is, uh, how long this has been going on. It's been almost 10 years uh, over 10 years since she, you know, has gone through this process, found a new family, is finally, you know, getting her last name changed uh, and is at a point in her life, it seems, where she can actually start to think about and come to terms with these uh, things that happened to her. Uh, I, I know a big question people had was, how can we believe she's a reliable narrator? 
Um, and you provide a lot of perspective on that throughout the documentary. You know, there are people who come in and say, this is common for someone who has experienced this trauma. Uh, or you also, I love the times when you all point out how Michael is definitely not a reliable narrator. Um, but I think for Natalia, people's biggest thing was, well, she was a child. How can we know what she was, you know, that she remembers correctly? Uh, can you address that part of it? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, she was prepped for trial to testify at Michael's trial. So when you prep a witness about events from a long time ago, you review things with them. And so, you know, she's she's testifying about things she knows happened because she was prepped for trial. And there's nothing wrong with preparing a witness for trial and reviewing things, but it makes the memories a little more fresh. So that's one thing, but which I actually didn't talk about in season two, but that is a fact. Um, I don't know about you, but my childhood, I remember in snippets. I remember like my fifth birthday party and, and I remember a particular Christmas when I was 10. I mean, I don't, I don't remember details, right? I remember certain events in grammar school, but it's very spotty, which Natalia says at the beginning of season two, like a lot of things are vague. And then she proceeds to have very specific memories. Well, I'm not surprised if she remembers a beating or two or the pledge incident or the pepper spray because it is going to make an impression on that little mind of hers. So it's more like when she's able to recount, like, I don't know, the, the Chaconis, the, her, yeah. her New Hampshire family meeting, um, Michael and Christine. I mean, Michael's adamant that they never met. And I know people don't think Michael's credible at all and that every word that comes out of his mouth is questionable, but you know, not everything he said is, is untruthful. I mean, I'm sure he said some truthful things. He's a very dramatic person. I don't, I really don't know what happened at the, um, at the, at the adoption agency, whether or not the Chacones, Chacones, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, whether they, they met with the Barnett's, they certainly were in contact within a few weeks and Michael admits that, but Natalia was six, going on seven at the time. It is, it's a monumental moment. I don't know. I call into question some things. Not that there's an intentional misstatement of fact. That's a lie. Just a mistake. Yeah. Or or somebody just kind of refreshed her memory. So she thinks it's her memory, but it was a, a recollection. There was a, a, I don't want to call it a planted memory, but it's just like. Yeah. Just she talked you know, about he, it so much that she thinks she remembers it. Yeah. And, you know, things get blurry as you get older. Uh, But we do have so many examples of Michael lying that it's almost like, you know, why would she need to make these things up? Like the detail about seeing the other family at Disney World and stuff like that. You know, she doesn't really have any sort of benefit. Whereas for Michael, it's like, well, he's clearly being very careful about about what he can talk about, what answers he can give. Um, A lot of people questioned including Michael in this season that's you know supposed to be focused on Natalia um they they don't understand why he's he's given a platform when it's clear he's you know overdramatic he's lying um like you said I do think there's a seed of truth in a lot of what he's saying and a lot of it does end up backing Natalia up especially like the pepper spray so I think it is important um how do you feel about him being included and you know, the the feeling that, you know, is this reliving abuse for Natalia by making him sit one-on-one with him? Well, I mean, she did not have to agree to that. He wanted the sit-down, is my understanding. And I think she felt, you know, she's become very religious. She may have felt that, you know, if they can reach this, you know, she'd forgive him, he'd apologize, that that would be good for both of them, which we know does uh, happen at the end. Although some people question the Michael's sincerity in that, but 
Yeah. Um, I, I don't question Natalia's sincerity. I think that she really, you know, really does forgive him. I mean, he wasn't the one who was hitting her, although he he didn't do anything to stop it. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, Michael is an, a necessary part of the story. Right. Because we don't have Christine. I mean, she's not cooperating. So we have to have the other side, I think. I mean, and, and it was all Michael, of course, in the in the first season and whatever yeah. we could get um, from social media and other sources about Natalia um, and from records um, until we could get her. But it, I think it, it made for understanding it better to have him there also. And then to have him, you know, say adamantly, I know what I saw. I mean, I, you're at the end of the bed with a knife. Of course, by the end of all this, people were writing and saying, well, if I was treated like that, I would have been hiding knives too. And I would have been standing yeah. at the end of the bed with a knife too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. After everything she went through, uh, it's yeah. It, it, at some point it is kind of like, well, when is she acting in self-defense here? And uh, we'll, we'll get into sort of where things go with Natalia's story. But uh, I thought one of the sort of just most explosive moments is between Natalia's uh, new father, uh, the man's family, I, I think Andre Mann's, um, Antoine Mann's. Uh, and Michael and, you know, he's asking Michael not to curse. There's this big blow up and you kind of see uh, how Michael takes control of the situation, how he, you know, can be very like triggered and reactive to get out of answering certain questions, which is highlighted throughout the documentary. And then, you know, then right after is mirrored with him, like doing giving testimony on, you know, just completely different facts and calmly stating a lie. Um, that to me was one of the just most shocking moments that I was just, I was like, oh my gosh, his lawyer couldn't be like, don't do that on, on TV. Um, yeah, right. So, yeah. I mean, explosive, literally explosive. Well, I thought Natalia was um, spot on when she said, this is the way he handles things. You know, he just walks away. Yeah. You know, he just, he like leaves. He didn't do anything when he was watching Christine disciplining um yeah. natalia abusing natalia he did nothing or walked away he's in denial so here he just gets up and leaves and drives away i mean that's how he deals with conflict Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. What else did you feel was a shocking sort of revelation you found working on season two? Uh, was there anything that popped out for you from those, you know, new prosecutor documents, 
Yeah. So, you know, the prosecution released, you know, to the public generally a lot of documents, but then also Natalia gave us some documents and she waived HIPAA so we could use like her medical records. And um, the two things are the one you first mentioned that the, when we first started talking was the dentist. I mean, the idea that Christine actually signed the form in 2011, this is a year before the reaging. She signed the form acknowledging that the dentist placed Natalia between eight and nine. And also about five weeks after they got her. So this is like maybe early June 2010. She she joins their family April 26, 2010. They brought her to Dr. Riggs. He said she was between like nine and 11. I mean, he too said she was a child. So they knew from five weeks after they got her in their household, her age. And Christine continued to say, I mean, another thing that was really upset me was the teacher and the principal yes. who were interviewed, who said she was a, 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 a great student. She got along with everyone, never caused problems. And Michael believed Christine when Christine said, I get a call every day at nine o'clock. She's hurting students with her wheelchair. She's banging in her student. She, Natalia denies it. The principal and teacher back up Natalia. That yeah. was revealing too. Yeah, there were so many instances, I feel, of people giving us a better idea of Natalia's character. Uh, in season one, we get some um, some witness statements, I guess, from people who had worked with her in the mental institution she was sent to. Uh, and that raised a lot of questions for people. They, you know, didn't understand how she could be saying these sexual things if she was a kid uh, or, you know, supposedly like hitting on male patients. Uh, and, and the Barnett's were getting calls about this and had to move her because it was so bad. Uh, and then we, you know, this season find out, no, it, it wasn't um, to that extreme. And it does really seem like a kid acting out when you see the details of she's trying to kiss someone on the lips or she's talking about boyfriends. This clearly isn't a mature grown woman, but uh, someone her age who has probably picked up some bad things. Yes, but also uh, if there were some sexual things that she did, that's consistent with a child who's been sexually abused. And yeah. while we don't know the complete background of um, Natalia, we don't know what happened to her in Ukraine um, when she was between the ages of zero to four before the New Hampshire family adopted her. It's not it's not too far out to think that she might have been sexually abused. I mean, that's her behavior is consistent with that. She hasn't ever really hadn't really until then been in a, a good loving environment. She hadn't learned boundaries. She had an attachment um, disorder because she's always been abandoned. So there's no question she was troubled as a child. And I believe that she, you know, bit or hit or whatever other children because yeah. she's, you know, she she need she needs therapy. Yeah. And needed it then. Absolutely. And she was placed in this environment where she was given no support. Uh, I think it really broke my heart hearing Natalia say, you know, at no point did the Barnett's even try to be parents for her. You know, she, you mm -hmm. know, Christine was never her mom. And she left these, you know, what seemed like pretty loving relationships with uh, the DePaul family. You know, maybe the Chacones weren't so great. Uh, but it did seem like there's some a narrative online of, well, then how come nobody wanted her until the Barnett's? Clearly, she was a problem. And we see that's not true. The DePaul's loved her. Their daughter loved her. They absolutely believed her age. And it just seems unfortunate that something made it happen where she couldn't be with this family. Um, 
Do you have any insight into that? I know there's like internet rumors that apparently the Chacones like asked for tons of money and the, De- the DePauls couldn't afford it. And it just kind of was like a legal thing. Uh, but why do you think they didn't prioritize at least putting her with a good family? I, you know, Diane Ciccone did work for an adoption agency, or I don't know if it's a state agency or what, but I don't, I've never spoken with them. They've not cooperated. So I don't have a lot of insight into that. They did feel that she would be better suited in a little people family. And that's why they reached out to the little people of America, whatever, an organization and three different families did, you know, look at Natalia, the two families were in season one, the DePauls or the third family right. in season two. And, you know, the DePauls were closed. It's really unfortunate for Natalia because they were really attached to her, the DePauls and their daughter, Mackenzie. Yeah. And I don't think I realized how quickly the Barnett adoption happened. Uh, The DePauls let us know that, you know, they didn't even meet Natalia before the adoption went through. Uh, They didn't, you know, try to see if she was a fit with their family. Uh, Did this not raise any sort of red flags? What? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it, it does to a lot of people. And and even Michael, he said um, in season one, when they pulled up to um, adoption by Shepherd Care in Hollywood, Florida, he, he was like, we're going to get a child here? Because it was like in a strip mall and a little one-story building. Yeah. And it just didn't, it didn't seem right. And, the, and he claims that they said to him, you have 24, 48 hours to come here from Indiana to Florida, or if she's going to be put up the foster care and they didn't want to do that. So they just packed up the family and got on an airplane and went to get a daughter. So it is a little, it is a little strange. Yeah. It's, it's so much of this is strange. <laughs> I, I, I guess that's why people seem to have a hard time following the story. Uh, and, and still to this day, wanting to believe Natalia is an adult. Uh, I could not stand the neighbor who is featured in season two, who was in the first season, uh, lived with Natalia when she's abandoned in the first apartment building and is adamant that Natalia was an adult, a menace to their neighborhood and sexualizing, uh, you know, interactions that she had with, you know, older men and all this stuff. She comes back in season two, is shown footage, evidence, I assume, and still is like, no, 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 no. They approve she's an adult. She's an adult. No, I don't need to pay attention to this. Why? Right. <laughs> Why? And uh, even in the face of the medical evidence to support that she's a child, irrefutable medical evidence to support she's a child, uh, this neighbor, Sue, uh, said, no, it was proven just because a judge reaged her. And that, but we know how that happened. We know yeah. it was one sided. Natalia wasn't there. And it was the family doctor and a social worker who petitioned or whose letters to the judge were the basis of his decision. Yeah. Why why do you think people I, I know it's a complicated story. It's there's so many details, it's hard to follow. Why do you think people are are so confused by it and and it's created such a I mean, it's been a cultural firestorm uh, as the beginning of the documentary shows, you know, people are making YouTube videos that are hours long where they're recounting all the details from the doc to really figure it out. And I'm just like, it's right. It's all very clear. So look, we all we all we all like a mystery. We like to figure things out. This is not really a whodunit. It's like, what is it? What do we call this? How did this happen? You know, assuming all of this is true. And I think the abuse has a lot of the abuse has been established. There's no real reliable storyteller here because there are memory lapses. There may be mistakes. There may be lies. I mean, people are covering their own butts in telling the story. Uh, Natalia clearly has behavior problems. I mean, she may have been a victim, but it doesn't mean that 
some of the allegations against her aren't true, but it doesn't it doesn't mean she deserved to be abandoned as a child and, yeah. you know, walking up 16 stairs when she has this disability and a little person living in an apartment not modified for a little person. It doesn't justify any of that. But the truth is, you know, somewhere in between. I'm glad I wasn't a juror in this case, because like if the jurors knew everything we knew, I suspect I know what the outcome would have been. But still trying to find out what the truth is, is challenging because often it's somewhere in between. You know, yeah. we've are, we've already said it in our discussion. There's like there are kernels of truth in what what uh, Michael's saying. And I'm sure that there are untruths in what Natalia was saying. Right. So what what makes this fascinating? It was all happening in plain sight. Yeah. Right. This was unfolding in plain. There's a judge who jumped her age from eight to 22. Like what? You know, that's in a public court record. Like how did that happen? As I say in season two, with a stroke of a pen, the judge made her uh, eligible to yeah. drink, drive, and vote. Yeah, she was eight, and because she was all of a sudden 22, the man, the um, Barnett's felt okay. Like she's an adult. She can live on her own. She didn't have life skills. I don't know if you have children, but can you imagine if you do, an eight-year-old living oh, oh, on yeah. his or her I, own? I have eight-year-old nieces and nephews. I can't imagine them by themselves in an apartment with a stove and all this stuff. It, and, and I also was, I, I'd never thought about uh, the fact that she shares that, you know, doctors had trouble treating her. They didn't know whether to put her on a on a path that an adult would have or something that, you know, would be beneficial as a child. And that has hindered her to this day where she's had to have all these surgeries and has struggled with her health. Uh, there's just she's so in much worse shape today than she would have been if she had the surgeries as a child. Yeah, she um, yeah, she's she would have been in better shape. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. And it's just, there's so much that is still impacting her today that it's, it's yeah, I, I hope she's able to f have a civil suit. I hope she's able to get some additional justice because every system seems to have failed her. Uh, and her education. Yeah. So this we is... Heard she wants to get a GED, her right? GED. And, and, yeah. So this will lead into into the second part of all of this that I that I want to get into. Uh, so you know, we get to the, the end of the documentary, and it seems like everything makes sense. She's been adopted by her new family, the Mans, who throughout the document have been there supporting her, clearing things up in season one and two. Uh, and as it seems like we're about to just go to credits on such a happy note, 
There is the biggest cliffhanger. The the man's family, the, the her parents are on a phone call. They're leaving this message to producers that Natalia is only out for herself, that she is saying that they're they've treated her like a hostage, that she's lost her mind. Uh, and then there's more stories. Uh, and it seems like, oh no, she hasn't this wasn't the family that that you know took her in, although it's been 10 years. Um, but I think my question, the first thought I had was she came to the man's family when she was about 10 years old. Uh, why over that time did they not support her getting her GED or going back to school if they believed she was a child? So that's a good question. And I've not posed that to them. I've not talked to them because I uh, they don't send me out to Indiana but or Kentucky, wherever they were living more yeah, recently. ID. Send but, Beth out there. Come yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> so um so I don't I don't really have an answer for that. Maybe I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if she was working or what she was doing, but she definitely should have been getting a GED when she was, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18. Right. I mean, yeah. she's 20 years old now and she still doesn't have it. So that is a good question. Also, I mean, she did. She seemed to be in a loving environment. Right. We see lots of video yeah. of the kids jumping all over her and the, and, and the man's just seemed to be. Uh, very tight with her and she's one of the older children but that cliffhanger at the end I mean I my jaw dropped when I saw that too because you know the whole the whole all six episodes had been finished locked delivered and this happened just weeks before airing before airing okay yes it just weeks before airing it just happened last month all right so the airing was January 1st it happened maybe well at the time we taped Nancy Grace's show, it happened two weeks before, but it happened about three, three, three and a half weeks ago. Okay. From now, yeah. Because people notice, I mean, they were like, if you look at the man's social media, there's positive, happy posts with her and, you know, some stuff about like, oh, well, maybe she just moved out and is on her own, but she seems to still like her family. And this just blew all of that out of the water. Uh, can you give us any insight into what could have caused this rift between them? So we're looking into all of it right now. And I, I don't have a lot of details. Probably if I did, I wouldn't be able to tell you because I think, you know, well, there's more of the story to tell, but she's okay. Yeah. I'll say that she's okay. And, um, but we're getting to the bottom of what happened. Like this was supposed to be one big happy family. I will say though, that Natalia's grown up, right? I mean, she was, she was a t uh, um, grade school and then teenager living with them. And, you know, so maybe her head's in a different place now. Right. And maybe she wants a little independence. But I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be getting into more of the story, though. <laughs> yeah, the road. that's the next question. So does this mean probably a season three? It's not my call, but um, I think they'll you know, there'll be some follow up. You know, this yeah. won't be the end. There'll be some follow up. And again, it's it is. I felt it was very clear that Natalia was a driving force behind this. She wanted to really tell her story. She hasn't had the chance to share a lot of these details to, you know, just have a dentist come out and say she was a child. Uh, you know, so I, I think there are people who feel another special or more attention to this is exploitative. But I think this is someone who was silenced by the fact that she was a child when these abuse, abuses yeah. occurred. She had no ability to speak up. And then, you know, and the reaging really messed, you know, I mean, that messed with her ability to, I mean, get the proper medical attention, as you say, and 
I mean, it, it was just it was just such an unfair move on the part of the Barnetts. Now, there was somebody, a lot of people wrote to me through my website, when you have dwarfism, you don't lose your baby teeth at the same rate, like at the same time as adults. And she was like, uh-huh. do your homework. Yeah, you look <laughs> into this. But and I thought, OK, well, like maybe she could be older with baby teeth. But the DNA test in season two yeah. establishes it, right? That it, nothing to do with the dentist. That DNA test showed she was somewhere at, within two years of within the age two she years. Yeah, and even yes. that is like okay. If she had baby teeth and was like two years older, I guess that could be a little older. But like she still would have been a child. She would have been ten, not eight. Yeah, right? ten, not eight. And is that what are you okay with? Like the fact she was left alone at ten instead of seven? Is that right. does that feel yeah. okay to you? <laughs> Uh, so I don't know the answer to the baby teeth if you have dwarfism. I mean, I, I do need to look into that. But again, I, it's corroborated by the DNA. So I'm comfortable with how it's all presented. Yeah. Uh, so Christine has shared her thoughts on the documentary on her Facebook, uh, but she hasn't, she hasn't, you know, worked with you guys. Do you think there is a future where she would ever come forward uh, I mean, if she can't face any sort of re- repercussions, like why wouldn't she? Well, um, good question. I suppose there's always a chance. It's disappointing because she is a missing link in this whole story. Um, however, it is very convenient, isn't it, that she's just posting her position on Facebook where, as opposed to sitting down and being interviewed by any of us who can say, well, wait a second, why did you file this petition with the court in June 2012 to reage Natalia when you signed the dentist form a year earlier acknowledging that she was eight or nine years old? Why are you filing the petition to reage when the endocrinologist in 2010 told you she was nine or 10 or yeah. 11 years old? I mean, there are things to pick apart her story. Michael corroborates the, the um, pepper spray. Uh, Michael corroborates the beatings. Jacob corroborates the yeah. beatings. Remember the off the hot mic the hot moment? mic moment from season. Yeah, he's like, "We're not going to talk about kicking her down the stairs." Natalia doesn't even remember that, right? I mean, she doesn't talk about being kicked down the stairs, but you know, she doesn't remember everything. Yeah, I, I guess, and she right? does remember. I think she said Jacob dropping her, and I was like, I yeah. could see you know, as a kid dropping me, kicking me down the stairs. I fell, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's corroborating and this whole story about um, the electric fence and Trader's Creamery. Yeah. That's what landed Natalia in the hospital. And then the reaging happened at that that month, June 2012. Well, we get a witness from Trader's Creamery, a, a worker there who's like the fence wasn't even on that day. And when I got to the scene, the little person was the calm one. It was the mother who was like, she's trying to kill me. It, I mean, it, it wasn't the scenario that Michael yeah had painted, right? Oh, yeah. And presumably Christine saying, you know, she's trying to kill me and arrest her and all that. So Yeah. Uh, I also thought it was so uh, just creepy and gross when we find out that Christine had been putting makeup and older clothes uh, on Natalia. Uh, and, you know, we have everything with this guy that she had potentially tried to, like, set Natalia up with. It's just all so gross. And then Michael's lawyer steps in and I have to ask you, what do you think about this, this defense attorney? But he steps in and says, no, this was just Christine being a mom and playing with her daughter and enjoying her one daughter and putting makeup on her. And it's like, we're supposed to believe after all of the abuse and pepper spray that she just decided suddenly she wants to, you know, do Natalia's nails like. Right. And and tell Natalia that she needs to tell people I'm actually 22. I may look yeah. young, but I'm really 22. And I tried to kill my family, chop her hair off, bring her to a neighborhood 
where a white trash neighborhood, as Christine calls it, you know, that's terrible for the people of Lafayette to hear um, in Indiana, Tippecanoe County. And and she's like basically wanting her to get lost and forgotten. And yeah. it was a dangerous neighborhood. Did you hear those gunshots? The gunshots, yeah. While the interviews are happening, yeah, there's gunshots. Some, yeah. pe- some people thought the producers were like, yeah, planted it. Trust me, that <laughs> was not a setup. They were scared and they got out of there. Yeah, I, I was like, I don't think they had to set this up. It doesn't look like a great neighborhood. Uh, and it, even in season one, they they showed, you know, that it was dangerous. There were uh, people in the area who were doing drugs, selling drugs, and it's it wasn't a safe place. Not that any place is safe for like an eight year old to be alone, but she clearly was struggling here. And it's almost like they put her there as a punishment because um, I've always wondered, you know, it, it seems like there are institutions, other places that they could have put her, but that would have probably cost more money. Uh, you know, we know that Christine would turn off her her utilities, that she would be left uh, in the summer without any sort of AC. And it just seemed like another way to abuse her from a distance. Uh, so this lawyer, <laughs> Michael's lawyer, he seems to have every excuse for the Barnetts. You know, they were just, she was a grown woman. He seems to adamantly still believe that Natalia, it was an adult the way he questions her story and says she needs to take accountability. And it's like, you know, you're talking about someone who was eight years old at the time. Uh, can you just. So the one thing, Terrence Kennard, yeah. I, think he's a, I think he's a good lawyer overall. Right. I mean, he's doing his job, right. He's, 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 He's representing Michael and, you know, to the, to the extent he's defending Christine, it's because it probably reflects on Michael. But, um, I mean, he did a good job for Michael, right? Michael yeah, was acquitted. He was acquitted. And he guided Michael throughout the interviews for season two. You know, Michael is Michael. There's only so much you can control what comes out of his mouth or how he says things and how he emotes because uh, he does emote, right? He's very emotional. Yes. Um, yeah. And some people felt like he was acting, but I- yeah, it's very theatrical. No, but somebody I talked to somebody who worked for him, who's not involved in the uh, production, uh, who told me that that's how Michael is. That's how Michael <laughs> is. That's how he speaks. I mean, that's the kind of it's just that's his personality. Um, but he Terrence made a good point at at one point when he said. Like there's a pattern here, like every family that Natalia's lived with has has said there's like some acting out on Natalia's part. They can't all be lying. That's a good point. But I think what that does show is Natalia, she's having behavior problems. She hadn't been attached to any adults. She didn't know boundaries. And so there might have been problems um, in the Ciccone household. And, it, you know, she might have been acting out against the boys at times in the Barnett household. And we heard genesis man's one little girl say when i was a baby she bit me yeah she didn't know any better but natalia was like 10 Mm, you know and she's biting a baby that's like that's not a three-year-old biting a baby the jealous of that's 10 10 uh what do you make of the the um hospital report that you know natalia was taken in while with the mans and the man said she couldn't come back uh they refused to take her calls and uh uh her mother, uh, I forgot it, Christy Manns, I think. Cynthia. Cynthia yes. Mann says, so, you know, that wasn't me. Because she was an adult, we couldn't even talk to her. And I think Christine did that, which to me made sense. Uh, but I know people yeah. question that, especially yeah, with the ending. I, I, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, I thought, well, okay, I, I just, I trusted what, that Cynthia was telling the truth. And she's like, those weren't my words. 
that it's got to be Christine calling, but how would Christine know? No, that she ended yeah, up at the hospital. Like, so and I did wonder if because Natalia would still have Christine listed as her mom if she was an emergency contact, but at this point, Natalia's, uh, I, I would assume, has that information changed by. I mean, also, she's an adult on paper, so would they even contact her mom? Correct, uh, correct. And she had people she's living with. I don't, I, I you know, I, that I can't answer. You got me there, <laughs> Ashley. I'm sorry. I'm trying to provide as many answers as possible, but I don't know them all. I don't know that we'll ever know all the answers in this case. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, every time it just, it seems like there's more. I think at the end of the day, everyone just wants Natalia to be okay, Um Obviously, this is a story that lends itself to fictional narratives, to movies, to TV shows. Uh, I think at some point we're going to see a Natalia Grace show, someone playing her. Uh, how do you feel about this story sort of reaching that level and, you know, her kind of wanting a regular life and how it could be a little exploitative to, to see all of these like fictional portrayals? Well, if that were to happen, I would hope it would be done with Natalia's blessing, with Natalia benefiting from it in some way, you know, monetarily or, or whatever, like as a consultant or something, right? Yeah. Um, even though whatever is in the public, she, she doesn't need to be a part of it. There's enough information in the public domain to do something. But I would hope that she would give it her blessing and be a part of it. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, this is a story that needed to be told because people need to question how this happened. Like, how did the trial judge allow a jury not to hear anything about the reaging? How did a judge reage for 15 years? I mean, yeah. when I was on Nancy Grace after the last episode, I mean, Nancy kept saying, reage, is that even a word? Yeah. Because it's, it's like, I mean, okay, we understand that people, people feel like they're a different gender trapped inside um, the opposite gender body. Okay, that I get that. But you are born on one day in one year, right? Like that can't that's your change. age. It, yeah. How I still don't. Yeah. I still don't legally understand how someone could be re-aged. Be re-aged. A thing that's even happened before. Like, are there other stories of this? Where did the Barnett's even get this idea? It is a thing, apparently, in some international adoptions, if the records aren't like complete or, you know, and, or the, but it's usually within a few years. Yeah. It's, it's like somebody was this like, was oh, no, it wasn't 2005. Gap. It was 2007. You know, it's like within a few years, not 15 years. <laughs> 15 years. Yeah. Uh, so on the case, on the point of of people, you know, turning the story into a movie, I have to ask, did you, uh, I know you covered the Mary Kay Letourneau case uh, back in the day. Uh, did you watch May, December, the Netflix I did. movie? What did you think I about did. it? You know, that's been a topic over the last week of, uh, people saying it was a bit exploitative because it did not, you know, include Vili, uh, I can't, Vili yeah, Vili Fulau's family's input or his consultation. Uh, how did you think it did at telling the story uh, of this sort of news case that just takes people by storm and takes the media well, by storm? I mean, I knew it was a dramatization. So, and you know, I know, I know Mary Kay Turner's attorney. I haven't spoken to her about it out in Seattle, but um, I, I didn't think that it was all factual. It was sort of, I could recognize, you know, the characters, but they changed enough about it, you yeah. know? So, and he wasn't, isn't, isn't Vili Filipino. It wasn't a, he wasn't Filipino. I mean, and I, I didn't, I just, I thought, okay, well, this is sort of loosely ba based on Mary yeah. Kay Letourneau, but I didn't, I didn't like, 
let myself go there and say they're wrong about this, 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 because that's what a drama does. A drama takes lies. It's just based, inspired on, maybe based on on the story, but it doesn't mean they have to stay factual to it, right? Yeah. Because it's a drama. Yeah. So. And I think it was a big part of it is making the point of how damaging it can be for the subjects of of these crimes when, you know, Hollywood comes knocking and is asking you for consultation and is asking you to drudge up your deepest, darkest, you know, experiences and traumas so they can tell a story. Uh, so I think that's a big part of the movie. So I was a little I, like... I, I, I didn't. Well, I didn't know if Vili uh, in real life went through the angst that the, the man in the movie does. Um, and sitting on the roof with his, was he with his father yeah, out with there? His, and with his talking, son, yeah. Oh, his son, his, his grown son. I'm like, wow, was it really like that? He was almost like his son's age. I mean, there was such, there barely age difference, right? And because um, he was in like sixth grade, right? When his first child was born, yeah. something like that. He was like 12. So I, it was just such an odd, it was so odd that she like fell in love with him when he was in second grade. She knew there was something special about him and uh -huh. she went to prison for seven years and had a baby in prison, you know, and then got out and married him. It's like, like, I, I, I don't, I don't have any contact with Billy. I hope he's doing well. Um, but I just wondered, did, did he really go through all of that yeah. like emotion? I assume he did, but I, I don't know if it was truthful. Yeah. And I, I know people would love to hear his story. And I think, you know, May, December had a lot of people reinvestigating, you know, the actual news clips and interviews with them in the documentary. Uh, I think, you know, they wrote a book together that was like only released in France uh, that says it tells his side, but obviously was very controlled by her. Uh, so I think, you know, sure, there are questions of is it exploitative to take someone's story and to add your own twist to it and to dramatize it. But I think this is a piece of art that's trying to tell a larger story about what these types of media sensational crimes do uh, to the victims and how we respond to it as a society. Uh, and I think Natalia Grace is is another one we're going to see that happen. Uh, I wouldn't yeah, be shocked. You're probably right. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked you if know, this you movie is announced is like next week. If it is exploitative, like we're all watching it. Yeah. So, right. We're still watching it and they know that. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, I was a kid when this happened. I didn't really remember the story. I think most people my age probably just remember the jokes. They, you know, Mary Kay Letourneau wasn't treated really like a villain, at least in the media. I saw it just seemed like she was everyone was like, oh, he's so lucky. He's got this teacher and they're in love and they're married and it's fine. Uh, and so the documentary or the movie made me look at some documentaries that were like, oh, no, this this was a much darker story. There were people who who really tried to fight for Billy and and, you know, he tried to commit suicide at like 15. He really did struggle. Uh, so I, I think anything that sort of helps to break down old sort of mythologies that are built through the media is just really helpful these days. And I think it's really great that a lot of modern true crime has taken that stance of, hey, let's re-examine this thing that happened uh, without the, the you know, all the just like media chit-chat and 24-hour news cycle. Let's step away from that and really look at what the facts of this case were. Uh, are there any other cases you think deserve that treatment? Huh. You, um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head because I'm sure there are some, but I don't want to take your time as me sitting here silently trying to think, <laughs> but um, I'm sure there are, you know, we don't, we don't know. We don't know the truth about some, some acquittals, some famous acquittals like Casey Anthony, right? That, that was um, one that was coming bit. to mind. Uh, and I know Peacock tried to do the, 
Casey Anthony doc from her side, her finally telling her story. Uh, what did you think of that doc? Did you watch it? I, I actually haven't seen it. I should watch it. Um, I was just so annoyed, you know, the acquittal. <laughs> yeah. I was done with Casey, but I, I probably should watch it. Yeah, I think that's that's why most people did it, because it was just like, what do, what do I do to hear from her about? Like, what is she going to say? Uh, right. I felt that you see her telling a lot of lies and you see that she really hasn't changed watching it. Um, but I did. I do think that's a case that people are starting to to come back to and go, you know, she was the most hated woman in the world. In fact, with Natalia Grace, people were saying, move over, Kat, Casey Anthony, Christine Barnett is taking your title. <laughs> oh, that's which funny. I, wow. Yeah. Which I got to say, I don't know that at least Natalia is alive and safe today. So Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Boy, that little um, Kaylee Anthony, she would have been. She was born in 2005, August 9th, 2005. So, wow. Yeah. She'd be, she'd be 20, 22. Yeah. She'd be 23 this year. Wow. So much time passes. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, What are, I guess, some of the cases that have stuck with you over, you know, your career? You've covered so many. Well, you know, Scott Peterson was a big one that I covered. Okay. That's Um, one people are revisiting. (laughs) Yeah, I know. He's not innocent. Don't worry. Yeah, I, I know. Like the the documentary that came out on Annie, the the truth about Lacey, that one got a lot of people really believing he's innocent. I know that the Scott Peterson conspiracies are huge now. Uh, so many people think he needs to get out. I could see that kind of being rewritten in in a movie or something. <laughs> but Annie had they they had um his family. You know that yeah. that was a project with his family. So. That that's it's from their perspective. Yeah, that series. And it, I watched it, and I was making a list of all the errors. And I was talking to a reporter out in California who had covered the trial also, and he and I were like, you know what? He's keeping his list. I had my list of the errors, and I was talking to one of the investigators who on the case who was making his list of all the errors. And then um, we're like, we need to do a podcast and just list all these errors. Yeah, please do it because. I mean, I watch a lot of these types of things and I I feel like I'm pretty good about like finding the source after being like, okay, what are they trying to tell me? What's the narrative? Who's making this? And that one had me convinced for about a day. I was like, I called my mom and was like, I don't know. I'm starting to think maybe Scott Peterson was in. And she was just like, absolutely not. I was, I lived it. You were a kid. He did it. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Tell your mom. I said, thank you (laughs) for setting you straight. (laughs) She was like, I watched the court TV. We saw all the evidence. He absolutely did it. Oh, then I, then she watched. Oh yeah, absolutely. She's a huge fan. She absolutely loved that you were on the show before and was so happy you're coming back. (laughs) Oh, great. Tell her I said, hello. You know that there was no camera in Scott Peterson and there was no Twitter and there was no Facebook. The summer of the trial, what started in the summer of 2004, it ended that December. That summer, Mark Zuckerberg was in Palo Alto. I was living in Palo Alto in a hotel. He was there that summer developing Facebook. Wow. And Twitter would come out a year later. So we had Blackberries. And there there were microphones in the courtroom set up to, to send audio on speakers into an overflow courtroom in a building across the street from the courthouse. And producers sat in there typing away basically like transcribing the trial, the testimony. And I had a producer who could type really fast and accurately. And he was sending me basically the transcripts on my Blackberry. I sat in front of a camera for hours all day 
Oh my God, cross-examination just started. First question by Mark Garagos of the witness, you know, lead investigator. Oh, and then question, answer. And that's how I did the whole trial for months. I sat in front oh of the camera reading a Blackberry. Within a year, there was Facebook and Twitter. So, <laughs> and it all changed. You know, <laughs> it all changed. You never would do a trial like that again. Yeah, now the people are live tweeting right from the courtrooms. Uh, Correct. As we saw with like the case of um, uh, Megan Thee Stallion and Tory Lanez, uh, there were reporters who were able to like build whole profiles just covering the case and tweeting what was happening right away. Uh, <laughs> but some judges don't let you tweet from the courtroom. I don't yeah. know that this judge would have allowed it. They might allow, uh, they allow computers just for note taking, but the overflow room is the one that had to transmit. Yeah, that is, that's so cool. <laughs> Just imagine on a Blackberry <laughs> reporting live. Uh, I know another case people have been revisiting uh, lately and the conspiracies are growing is OJ Simpson. There's a growing conspiracy that he is innocent and actually his son did it and OJ covered for him. I was just curious if you have heard of this conspiracy that. Yeah, I've heard about that. Somebody I, there is somebody who who emails me information about that all the time. Um, <laughs> they want you to get into it. You got to get to the truth. Well, first of all, people think OJ's in. Okay, so OJ was never acquitted, right? Now, an acquittal is not a finding of innocence. It means there is not enough proof beyond a reasonable doubt. You could still have done it, but it wasn't proven. But, you know, and Jason, his son Jason would share 50% of his DNA would be the same as OJ's, but only 50% of it. What is really compelling is the mixture of blood in his Bronco. There was a mixture of, of blood. It was Nicole, Ron Goldman, and OJ's. You cannot contaminate and make a mixture like that. Like, like, like he left that there. <laughs> he yeah. left that in the Bronco. All right. So, I mean, I will never, I will never believe these conspiracies. Um, OJ was really scared in those first days. He had asked his lawyers, like, how long before DNA evidence comes back? That Bronco chase yeah. was, I mean, he had money, a disguise. I mean, he had a lot of cash. I mean, he was fleeing, if possible, right? Yeah. It seems like he was fleeing, even though it became a low-speed chase, not a high-speed chase. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I just, it yeah. is what it is. You know, the jury didn't feel like it was proven. Mark Furman, you know, was proven racist, and that really hurt the prosecution's case. And um, the rest is history. But, you know, he society punished him, right, because yeah. he was not the person he was before Nicole was murdered. Um, he was no longer, he was persona non grata at, you know, the country clubs and he didn't have the money anymore. And, you know, yeah. he lived a much more humble life. I, I, I did get to know him a little later in life because I covered his other two trials. Oh, so yeah. He had a road rage trial in Miami and he had uh, his Vegas trial. So I, I talked to him. I had lunch with him once when I talked to him in both of the cases. Yeah, I know a bit about the Vegas trial. The judge in that uh, has a daughter who is a comedian and she talks a oh, yeah. lot. Yeah, Rachel Wolfson. Uh, she talks a lot about that case and, and her dad being the one to finally send OJ to prison. Well, her mom sentenced him. Yeah, I think, yeah, it was her mom who finally sent him to prison. Uh, I was in the courtroom for the sentencing. And, well, I was in the courtroom for the whole trial. And when she sentenced him, I was shocked at how many years he got for stealing his own stuff, yeah. right? Of course, he did it with a gun. He shouldn't have done that. But she, he, they he gets handcuffed, right? He's like sentenced and handcuffed, makes a statement. And then she goes, get him out of here. Like, I don't I like get him out of my courtroom. I was like, Ooh, like she did not like OJ. Yeah. Get him out of my sight. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I had to have you talk on that conspiracy because I feel like just 
the rise of so many TikTok conspiracy believers has brought back so many of these cases. And it just seems like people, you know, we don't have the same thing now where people are sitting down to watch court TV or true TV and they're seeing like facts. You can really just isolate yourself and watch, you know, all the TikToks you want that are going to convince you OJ is innocent. So thank you for for clearing That's up how we get our news today too, right? I mean, we're yeah. really siloed. We choose our news uh, to come from sources that agree with us. So, I mean, that's really interesting. Thank you for telling me all this because I didn't, I knew some conspiracies around the rise. And of course, young people like yourself who were kids or not even born when some of these cases happen are having opinions when they really don't know the facts. Like your mom watched the, the, you know, evidence unfolding in Scott Peterson. So she knows. So you listen to your mother. Oh, and I have to, yeah, I have to ask about the biggest one, uh, the Menendez brothers, that one, there's an entire fandom around them that is like, we have to get them out. They're innocent. Like kids don't believe they did it. They, and I, that was another case I knew nothing about. I was a kid and I just was like, oh yeah, no, my mom said they did it. They've heard they did it. So, okay. So I was an assistant DA at the time. So I was not at court TV. I did not see the trials. I didn't, I was trying my own cases. So I didn't have time to watch a trial, but they never denied killing their parents. They killed their parents. But the question is, were they justified in doing it? They never, I mean, they, they did it, Yeah. but did they do it because they were so sick of being abused? And somebody recently has come forward. I understand an adult, an actor to say that Menendez, the father, had abused him as a child, too. So yeah. maybe, you know, the boys are telling the truth and they said their father sexually abused them as kids. Okay. And and they just kind of snapped. So Scott Peterson, don't revisit. He did it. OJ did it. The Menendez brothers. Uh, did it, but were they justified? But were they I mean, justified? There di- There's more not, there. Not, it's not it's not really justification because they shot their parents in the back of the head. They weren't facing deadly threat. But is there some sort of diminished responsibility because of the psychological impact of the sexual abuse? Is Was it really more of a manslaughter or second degree murder, something that they can get out in time as opposed to serving life in prison? Yeah. So, OK, OK, that one. I'll let the TikTok kids tell me more about it. I'll, I'll look into it. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to go off on all these tangents. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I got to I gotta check in with the expert on, on all of these other stories that people, you know, like the Natalia case, are going back and forth on, on the facts. And in this day and age, a fact even like Natalia was a child, people will refuse to believe. So I really appreciate you coming on the show, clearing this up, talking about season two, uh, and maybe the special we'll get because that cliffhanger, we all want to know what is going on. <sighs> And, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so listen, we'll do it again anytime, Ashley. It's a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Uh, where can people follow you? Uh, do you have anything like a podcast you want to share? The latest podcast is called Unrestorable, and it's about a mother who killed her two kids, two and three. Their bodies were never found, and she was never ultimately tried for it, though she was charged mm. with murder because she was incompetent to stand trial. So we we look in at the the intersection of the criminal justice system and mental illness and how the system treats the mentally ill. And was she really meant, she was mentally ill, but was she so ill that she was incompetent to stand trial or did yeah. she game the system, you know? Uh, yeah. So that's called unrestorable. And, you know, I'm Beth Karras on Facebook and on X and I don't know what I am on Instagram and TikTok. I'm not very good with social media, but I'm going to get better. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to get better. I promise. Yeah, follow, follow Beth, listen to the podcast, get all, all the news info straight from the source. Don't believe all the TikToks. Uh, let me give you just quickly uh, uh, some TV recommendations. Uh, I'm just going to give you one, actually. It is Daughters of the Cult. It is a new Hulu documentary uh, that gets into the Ervil Mormon cult uh, that you know, a lot of people were killed within. Uh, they ended up fleeing to Mexico. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, all about, uh, Ervil LeBaron and, and his kids, his actual daughters are in it. Um, I think it's, it's five episodes on Hulu. I am two episodes in, usually I finish these for you guys before I recommend, but it's just so good that at two episodes, I'm like, you got to watch this. <laughs> so we finally have a new cult doc. It's, it's been a while. So that's something to, to ease you from the Natalia Grace shock. <laughs> Uh, that's your homework TV club. Thank you so much for listening, Beth. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and we'll be back next week with another episode. TV I say with Ashley Ray, another episode, another episode. TV I say with Ashley Ray is an Earwolf production made by me. Ashley Ray Harris. It's engineered by Abby Aguilar, produced by Anita Flores, executive produced by Amelia Chapelo, and our original theme song is by Rafia. It means so much to me if you go rate, review, subscribe, follow TV I Say. Let us know what you think and tell your friends. Share with your golden girls. Tell your boys. If you love my TV recommendations, let everyone you know know. For special TV club members, join my Patreon. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.